This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hello and welcome to the Buckets and Tea NBA show. I'm your host, Catherine Niker. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Today, we've got you. I feel like most of you probably already know him and love him from Sportsnet. It's Blake Murphy. Hey, how how's you doing? it going? Good. How you doing, buddy? Good, good. Got 905 action on. March Madness about to start. It's a nice Thursday. That's amazing. I uh, I have to do a bit of a, a humble brag because I, I checked my Twitter feed this morning and Lee Ellis followed me. Nice. Lee Ellis. I've been beaming all morning. I'm like, oh, my God. He's Lee cool Ellis. trip around the world right now. Seems like such a fun thing to be doing. Yeah, especially in this winter. I'm like, God. I would rather be almost anywhere else. I debated it. I did the whole like at midnight, clicked on an ad, looked at various beach spots, you know, I did. And then I talked myself out of it, but I did have that moment. It's definitely one of those things where had we known how long all this nonsense would last, like, absolutely. I would have been out of here. The the second I came back from Rudy Gobert trying to infect me (laughs) in Utah, I would have been out of here and done everything else from, Oh God, that's so true. If I could go back uh, three years ago, I would have done a few things differently, uh, including hoarding toilet paper before everyone else. But in any case, (laughs) uh, all right, let's talk about um, John Morant first and foremost. So the league came out and said they are uh, suspending him for eight games total after posting his IG live video where he's holding a gun. Uh, we did talk a bit about this last week as the video surfaced, but now we have the news from the league, you know, what their disciplinary actions are. Uh, he's going to be coming back. I believe it's March 20th, which is soon um, because he's already served some of that time. So some people were wondering if he'd be back for the season or not, but he's definitely going to be back before the regular season ends. And as well, he did an interview with uh, with Jalen Rose, where he kind of uh, voiced his side of things. Um, yeah, Blake, I'll, I'll jump into my opinions in a minute. But what do you what do you make of all of this? It's obviously a really tough situation, especially with, um, you know, someone like John Morant, who has been pretty open before about his mental health battles. Um, he did a, a really open and vulnerable interview with Taylor Rooks back, I think, at the start of the 2021-22 season, where you know, he revealed how kind of the the weight that it carries when you're trying to put everyone else first. And, and I think that was more about family than just about basketball. But I'm sure there's oh. a basketball element to that as well. Now, none of that is to forgive what he did. Um, you know, we I'm sure we all have disliked a teen or two in our time, but you don't <laughs> uh, threaten them with guns. Um, and, the you know, the the stuff around the the Pacers staffer and, you know, you can sort through the reporting and what John Morant has said back and, you know, the different influences with his dad and his brother and things like that. Um, there's a lot that we won't know fully and probably can't understand there. I think the important 
takeaway from a league perspective is that obviously if he was at a point where he thought that was a reasonable thing to do, um, whether it was because of drugs and alcohol or mental health or just, you know, you, you know, we've seen a lot the last couple of years in the world in general, where if everyone kind of is coming at you from one side, it could push you to the other side of things. And there was a lot on him and a lot of talk around him. And, you know, for someone who does have mental health stuff that he's dealt with, who does have, um, you know, he talks very openly about the impact of his family and, um, it sounds like I'm excuse making for him. I'm not. I'm just trying to highlight that there's a lot here that we won't and can't know. Um, the important thing is, is that if you get to the point where you're flashing a gun on Instagram live and you think that's either funny or acceptable, um, something has to change and something has to, you know, you have to step away and reset. I think it's, I mean, there's an element of me that's a little cynical in terms of what else are you going to do and say afterward other than, yeah, I'm getting help and I'm going to seek counseling and, and you know, I'm taking these steps with the team and these steps with the league, but at least it's been swift. At least it's not something he's pushed back on. And I think from the league perspective, um, the eight games here and him being eligible to return March 20th, you know, he had already missed a bunch of that time, right? They basically suspended him for time. He'd already kind of self suspended. Uh Um, Now Uh the paycheck changes, but I think it's important for the league to do, make it seem optically like they they've done something here and they're on top of it and also make sure you know one of the most complicated parts about figuring out whether morant would be punished here was that there's no precedent for this right like there's the gilbert arenas javaris cretentin thing um but the precedents for anything related to gun possession or or glamorizing guns or anything like that in league history are zero games and 50 games and those were the two precedents that the league had to work from. So I think even if they don't consider this like a punishment beyond what John, the Grizzlies were already working toward, um, they at least now have another precedent on the, the books for if this ever happens again. Um, my hope would be that as part of Jaws return to play, there's, um, you know, beyond the interview that, that you referenced, you know, there's more, maybe not immediately, but some element of, of openly discussing why what he did was you know rooted in in some problematic behavior and you know i don't know maybe they'll have him do some gun violence psa kind of stuff similar to when carmelo anthony um you know had the had his part in the snitches get stitches video back in the day (laughs) and kind of had to you know do some rehabilitation work uh, for his image and for you know the league's relationship with those things um again this is a bit of a rambly answer but i'm trying to be sensitive to the fact that there is a lot going on with a player that we don't see, but also what he did was just downright stupid and pretty like pretty freaking goofy. Um, like, here's my gun at the, like, I don't know. And then you also get into the element of like, like the New York post tripping over themselves to clutch pearls that he gave singles to a strippers and played rap music at the club. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of nonsense to, to pull apart from this. I think the important thing is it, from the sounds of it. And I have, I've only seen the highlights from the, the interview you're referencing, but um, hopefully jaws in a place where he feels comfortable to return on March 20th and um, kind of the next steps beyond his return to play are, you know, the, the same level of openness and vulnerability jaws shown in a number of different ways over the years uh, about why this was, was a problem and, and, you know, what he's learned from this process. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you've made a, a lot of great points. And I, uh, I've i been a little cynical in terms of just the whole PR approach of it all. But I do think like he is handling this as well as anyone could. And I, you know, when you talk about like precedence, it's like um, the thing with Gilbert Arenas is that those guns were in the locker room. And I think yeah. it being like within an NBA vicinity, like ups the ante. And then also that was in the David Stern era. And Adam Silver has been no notoriously more hands off, I would say, uh, in comparison. And I think, you know, Adam Silver's approach is very much about like, how do we, you know, get the games back? How do we get jaw back? You know, where like David Stern would be like, how dare you make me look bad? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of the huge difference between those two. And um, I agree. Like, I think this is in part it, it's 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 some parts a mental health thing. And I think it's some parts just a young kid making some mistakes. And I think they're kind of there's been a lot of spin towards the mental health angle. I think in terms of being able to um, manage his reputation and the league's reputation and things like that. But I do think, you know, both things can be true. And uh, I also think, like I was saying this last week, that I think this video in a weird way is one of the best things that could have happened to him because it sort of forced him to take pause uh, before anybody got severely hurt. And and I think ultimately for him, this will be a good thing, or at least I hope it will be. Yeah, I hope so too. And I think that's what we have to hope the takeaway here is. And I think that's a great point about before things, you know, get it, getting this dealt with now before things got uh, any further. I think the David Stern thing is why it can be a little difficult to, um, you know, talk about this with, with the proper nuance. And like, obviously, I'm, I'm a white man covering a predominantly black league. And in the David Stern era, that was not something people paid as much attention mm -hmm. to. And David Stern certainly went the you know, there are certain parts of, of language that some people still use around certain basketball player behaviors that have no place in, in 2023. And basically you can trace back to David Stern. I mean, a number of decisions there, but like the dress code, for example, Yeah, I was going to say, like, Alan, if you don't wear a 42 regular, you're suspended. Like <laughs> it's uh, it was, and a lot of that was about, you know, they would tell you improving the viability of the league and reaching more corporate sponsors, et cetera. But what that implies is that if you are black and you present as someone who grew up in black culture and that's how that's where you're from and how you were raised and the way you are, that that is not viable for the league. And that's a really shitty pathway to go to. Oh, sorry. Can I swear? Is that okay? Yeah, you can swear. Okay. Um, that's a really shitty pathway to go down and a very shitty um, kind of moral pathway that follows from that so i think we have to be careful with that and i think um i'm sure there are some people who were quick to draw connections from john morant being at the the club with a gun to prior eras of the way certain white media talked about black basketball players and that's something that we we all have to avoid but especially someone in my position or people who look like me who are covering this stuff um and the mental health thing you know i, I understand the cynicism for sure and, and i think that you know there was the the josh primo example where um they he quickly pointed to a mental health thing and it's like, okay, well, you did those things within the guide, allegedly within the guidelines of seeking help for your mental health. So I don't really know if that, um. you know, that one's a little dicier, at least in John Morant's case, this is something that it's not new. Like he has been open about this stuff in the past. And I think that I, I don't think uh, 
like plausible deniability is a reason to be open and vulnerable about these things. But it is interesting that the fact that you have chosen to be open and vulnerable about this stuff in the past makes it a little easier to understand you in a situation like this. So um, that's not why you want people to be open uh, mm-hmm. about things, but it, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it helps a little bit in, in terms of the, hey, when someone's talking about mental health stuff uh, in sports, we we should listen up and try to be a little more proactive about it. Yeah, um, I think that's very well said. I completely agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, he uh, he said in the interview a bit that he he said what's on social media in terms of these previous incidences that have since come to light are a lie, but he didn't get more specific. So then it's like, I don't know if he means the incidents in their totality are a lie or if specific details are a lie. I so, do remember, yeah. um, sorry, that after the the thing in Indiana with the, the light pointed at a staff member or whatever, Jaw was pretty outspoken on Twitter at that point that he thought that that was poorly reported and not accurate. Mm. And the fact that even he was very upset, if I'm remembering correctly, that um, even though the investigation, the league's investigation of that returned nothing, his brother was still banned from, uh, I think, all road games. And he was pretty upset about that. So I'd imagine that's what he's calling back to, but I've only Mm. seen the clips. Right. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I think ultimately at the end of the day, like we're all rooting for him and we want him to do well and be well. And uh, yeah, a very bizarre incident, but I think overall has been handled in the best way it could be. And we're going to see him back on a basketball court pretty soon. Just in time for the playoffs, which uh, this stuff isn't really related to the product on the court, (laughs) but that was a really... Look, selfishly, that was a really that has been and still is a really, really fun Grizzlies team. And if you can get past the ancillary stuff, John Moran is one of the most exciting players in all of basketball. And I think that's where, you know, that's not related to glamorizing guns or or Jaws mental health or whatever. But like we are at the end of March here and that's uh, an element. And I'm I would imagine that's an element of why the league wanted to move quickly on this and was willing to look at the time jaw had already missed as kind of, you know, suspension already served rather than Mm. tacking on games on the end of that, because um, there's also probably an element of, and you'd have to talk to John Moran about this, but imagine when things are going a little more smoothly, like having access to basketball and your teammates and being around the team and stuff like that. Like we've heard Pascal talk about how, his mental health suffered when he was away from basketball and away from the team. Mm. And that's a big part of your routine and your identity and your self-worth. So there's an element of that there too. There's also an element of, yeah, the lead. I'm sure Adam Silver is not David Stern, but he's also, uh, yeah, we got a playoffs to focus on here. Let's, let's tie the bow on this by, (laughs) by the start of the first round. Yes, absolutely. Um, Another person I wanted to talk about this week is uh, Damian Lillard. Uh, I love Damian Lillard. He did a a very interesting interview this week um, where he talked, this clip went a little bit viral, where he talked about how the league has changed and how the regular season doesn't matter anymore. And he thinks the discourse around that is very toxic. And I think he was specifically talking about ring chasing and how like the leagues all become all about ring chasing and uh you know sort of goes counterintuitive to what he's chosen to do with his career and how what he's chosen to do with his career should have more value um which i thought was really interesting uh you can definitely uh, find the clip online if you want to see it in full but blake i sent this clip to you what did what did you think it's an interesting thought experiment um i don't 
I don't agree with some of it. I think rings culture has always existed. Like there's a reason that from the second Charles Barkley entered the basketball media landscape, he like oh, I was, was absolutely going to mention Charles Barkley. Yeah. yeah. You've never won a ring. You've never won a ring. And like, yeah, it's a, it's a joke to some extent, but it's also like, from the moment he retired, like along with Carl Malone and maybe Elgin Baylor, Elgin Baylor, um, he's like, yeah, you're the best player to never win a ring. And that has hung with him. And it's something that, you know, Reggie Miller got criticized for it. When Steve Nash hung it up, it was a part of his yep, thing. Patrick it's, Ewing, It continues thing. to fall Chris Paul to this point. Mm-hmm. And Chris Paul's a part of the modern era, but Chris Paul's like my age. He's not Dame's age. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's at least a few years back. So, I don't know that there's merit in that it's new other than, um, you know, the media cycle is a, is a little thirstier now and more aggressive. Um, I think there's a good point to what Dame's saying, though, in that, you know, we there are 82 games a season and we all watch them very intensely. And yes, the 2019 Raptors championship was awesome and it's the best thing I'll ever get to do as a basketball fan and as a sports media person, probably. Um but at the same time, like it is not the only time I have enjoyed or found value in the Toronto Raptors over the last mm. 25 years. Like there's there's a lot more to basketball than just the championship. And I think it's it's not the best for the league when it gets us polarized as if you are not a top three title contender, you should be absolutely blowing it up and tanking. Like, have you watched a Houston or San Antonio or Detroit or Charlotte game recently? It is unwatchable basketball especially when those two teams go up against each other and that's not great for the league and i think the new playoff format has actually helped at least in the western conference because so many teams like there are 11 teams in the west that are playoffs or bust this year and probably like seven or eight of those would be really disappointed with not getting as far as the western conference finals and there are mm-hmm. obviously only two spots for that so that's great and dame's kind of a victim of that because portland's having another not great year and they they didn't tool up around him in an effective way and i, I feel for him he's also 32 years old now and how many more years can he score at a 30 point a game level? I don't know. So he's probably starting to look at what is my career legacy? Am I, you know, point guard, Carl Malone, point guard, Charles Barkley, maybe. Um, It's also an interesting conversation as someone who is a huge lifelong DeMar DeRozan fan, because um, when DeMar made the all-star team this year, I started looking at the history of guys who made six all-star teams and like 90% of them made the hall of fame. And DeMar is going to finish his career probably in the top 25 all-time scoring, maybe even the top 15. And you're gonna, we're going to look at this DeMar Hall of Fame case. And while he's one of the greatest and most voluminous and, and most prolific regular season performers in league history, like, like let's assume he has three, four more years at this level. We can say that. He's one of the probably top 25 best regular season players um, when you factor in longevity. And he has not had an ounce of playoff success. Um, like, where do, how do we contextualize a player like that? Dame has had, I think, higher moments in the playoffs because he's Mr. Clutch and he's had game winners and he's had unlikely runs and stuff like that. Um, so he'll be a fascinating test case in it too. Dame also has the disadvantage of, like, he was old as a rookie, so he's not going to have maybe the counting stats and stuff like that if he retires on a normal timeline. Um, so, again, I feel for him. But I don't think any of this is is really new. I, I don't think that's a that's a thing. I think 
um, the league should continue to investigate ways to make the regular season really matter. And, and again, we're headed for a last month here where every game in the Western Conference feels like it really, really matters because all those teams, including Portland, have so much on the line. Um, but I don't think you can – like the championship is the championship. And I don't – like short of – the top of the table just wins soccer style. And then you have some sort of champions league after like, I, I don't know what the solution would be. So uh feel for you, Dame, but this isn't really <laughs> new. And there's a, uh, you know, to use the old blue Jays, David Priceism, if you don't like it, pitch better, um, you know, w- win a championship, then uh, not that you could do it solo, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel for you a little bit, but not all the way. I mean, I think what this is really about under the surface is uh, Damian Lillard, you know, the league incentivized staying, right? And he made his choices. He made a lot of money, but I believe he wants to be publicly validated for those choices, right? And I think that's really what this is about. Like, and I think, you know, because we, we've already said it, it's like it would be revisionist history to suggest that rings matter in the culture of the NBA now more than they did in the past. Like that's just not true. But I really think Damian Lillard is in a way, and a lot of players do this, trying to control their narrative. And I think that's what this interview is about. Now that again is maybe a very cynical take on my part. But I believe look at his relationship with Chris Haynes over the years, right? Like every time a star gets traded or it's the trade deadline or, or July 1st free agency, like how many times has there been a Dame article about Dame staying in Portland that like comes out of nowhere is completely un like unprompted, <laughs> just like, like middle of the third quarter, yeah. he misses a mid range two And he's like, but I'm staying in Portland. It's like, okay, man, we get it. We get it. So I don't think you're wrong to be cynical in this case. He does seem to have uh, over the last couple of years, a, a pretty sharp awareness of that and how that is all perceived and how he kind of needs to lean into that. I think. Yeah. And I think the more the like if we are continuing to trend towards the regular season not mattering, then that impacts his overall legacy because he does have some playoff success. But really, the heart of his legacy is that he stayed in Portland. Right. And that he had some some very magical clutch shots when they mattered the most, you know, but that is the heart of his legacy. And I think he's trying to preserve that by creating a conversation that says, Hey, this is, you know, this isn't right to only value rings, but also that's, this is sports and this is what every league values. So I don't know. I mean, I think he's right in terms of the regular season mattering less that that is something that has trended significantly more especially in the last five years even in the last 10 years than previous so that is new but not the fact that like rings matter yeah and i think that's fair and you know you can only do so much to bump the regular season mattering back and like part of it historically has been the mvp race and now everyone's just so sick of that too that uh yeah that i don't i don't really know and like I don't know. I I do think the play-in helps. I don't think it helps much in the East this year because all those teams are just like none of those teams has a prayer of winning a playoff series. But if you're in the Western Conference, like I think a a handful of those teams think they'll be able to actually win. So, so, you know, I don't think you'll ever in any league be able to solve the kind of January doldrums. Like the NHL has run into it really, really badly this year because they've actually changed the playoff format um, to make things worse. 
where like the the Maple Leafs, for example, have known who their first round playoff opponent is going to be for months, and it's still a month out from the playoffs, and it, it's like the mathematical chances of it changing are almost zero. And that's right. when you that's when the regular season really doesn't matter. Your playoff right. seed and opponent are locked in like months in advance. At least in the NBA, like to the amount you care about home court or who your opponent is and stuff, there is still some stuff to play for, at least in the West. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. Um, okay, let's move on to um I want to talk championship favorites with you, Blake. Um, wow, you rings know, culture, Catherine. Rings culture. I'm leaning into rings culture. Um, you know, we started off the season with the league being pretty much wide open, you know. But I think as we narrow down towards the playoffs, you know, some favorites are going to emerge, and I think they have. So I wanted to ask you, who are your top five favorites to win this year? Top five. Okay, I think there are eight teams that could conceivably win the championship if everything breaks right um memphis is kind of the eighth one where we'll see how all this stuff plays out and if guys can get healthy and stuff um but uh i think unfortunately the two favorites uh right now are both from the eastern conference milwaukee and boston Uh, (laughs) i think part of that is you know when you're coming up with who the title favorites are you got to look at the path and both of those teams are going to have pretty easy first round matchups um they're going to play Miami or Atlanta or Toronto or Washington or Chicago or Indiana, like those are not threatening. And if you can win a first round series in five games and the teams you're playing from there have all been through hell on their way, um, small amount of iron sharpens iron maybe, but Milwaukee and Boston have also been on big runs uh, in the playoffs recently. So I think, I think I would probably have Milwaukee, Boston one, two at the top. And that's not to say I necessarily believe they're better than all the West teams, but none of those, there's no easy matchup in the West uh, anywhere. I think in the West, Phoenix is probably my favorite to get out of there if we assume KD will be back in time. Um, the, the margins in the West are too small. If KD's not back in time or he's not 100%, um, but as long as he is, um, he's in the mix there. I kind of think the Clippers are still sneaky threatening. Um They have looked pretty bad since the deadline and some of their deadline moves in retrospect don't look great, but their numbers this year and in general over the last couple of years, when Kawhi and Paul George are both healthy are ridiculous. And when they're both on the floor together, which they'll be for 30 plus minutes a game in the playoffs, they're ridiculous. Um, So I still have a a measure of faith in them. And uh, two weeks ago, I probably would have had Denver in this last Mm -hmm. spot, Uh, but I won't because they are completely (laughs) unraveling um the other team that i would have in the mix that that that's not going to make my top five is philly and i think they have the talent and joel Embiid is absolutely on a level right now where he could be the most dominant player in a dominant championship run but i don't have a lot of faith in some of the role players and doc rivers uh so the fifth one is the golden state warriors and some of that's just uh respect the warriors yeah you're the champs till you you're not the champs anymore um i know the wiggins thing kind of hangs over everything and obviously hope everything's okay with, with him and his family and everything if they were to get him back um given how good they've looked since steph came back and the fact that you know if any team has the ability to flip the switch in the playoffs i believe it's them you get wiggins back in there i, I think they're uh probably the team that none of the higher seeded West conference, Western conference teams want to draw in the first round. So yeah, Milwaukee, yeah. Boston, Phoenix, uh, Clippers, golden state is yeah. I think my answer. 
I uh, I have the same five, but I'm going to go a step further. I would pick Milwaukee over Boston in, in the Eastern Conference final. Mm-hmm. I just think they are a step ahead and Boston struggling. And I also just want to see the Boston media flailing all summer long. Mm-hmm. So that's very satisfying for me. And then in the West, I agree with you. Although I will say, like, I think with the Warriors, I know nobody wants to count them out and they've earned that respect. I think too many things just haven't gone their way this season. Um, they absolutely will not win without Andrew Wiggins. I mean, last night, Steph Curry scored 50 points and they still lost to the Clippers. Uh, Draymond Green's going to miss their next game because he now has 16 technical fouls. So, um, you know, I, I just feel like too many things have gone wrong for them this season to win a championship, at least historically speaking. I haven't seen a team deal with, you know, like various injuries throughout the year, not having one of their best players for significant chunks of time. You know, one of their players uh, being suspended because they got too many texts in the season and then coming back and then winning it all. But they are the Warriors. So I'm not going to count them out, but they are definitely in the bottom of that. I do think like the Clippers are such a injuries are always a caveat, but when they're healthy, they really look like they could win it all. And I was not I, I was not thinking the Clippers would look this good in March. I really didn't, but they look really good. And I believe they've won their last three or four in a row. Let me check. Four that. now, yeah. Four, yeah. They've lo- they've won their last four. Um, I was so high on Denver. They've lost their last four. Um, and they look so bad. They just like. Yeah, they looked really bad against us the other night. It's so frustrating because they're supposed to be in the perfect situation for a team, right? You have title aspirations. And you're so far ahead seating wise with a couple weeks ago, you could just focus on, hey, we'll get Jamal Murray some nights off for his knee. We'll get Jokic some load management nights off. Everything's supposed to be just like gravy at this point and getting ready for the playoffs. And instead they're imploding and like taking shots at their coach and the media Mm -hmm. is like, like, I I guess not media, but Matt Moore likes to retweet very upset Nuggets fans (laughs) calling for Mike Malone's head, like 15 games from where you're going to be a one seed in the playoffs. It's, I I have seen good teams get dramatic at bad times, but I've never seen a team that is this far ahead of everyone. Just like, eat itself like the autophagy at place here is it's ridiculous there was one play uh during that raptors game where i can't remember who if it was jamal or someone else but they they were throwing the ball to Jokic and he wasn't expecting it it just like hit him in the head <laughs> do you remember that i mean it was very goofy and and funny and the first thing i thought was like you're the reigning mvp how are you not expecting the ball but it's also you know, aside from it being funny, it's also just speaks to a greater thing about just like a lack of communication at this point in the season that you don't really expect and just like a, a lethargicness to them as well. And, you know, like uh, Draymond Green, when he was going back and forth with Dylan Brooks last week, you know, he was like, March, March, I don't get up for March. And I was kind of like, uh, you sort of need to get up now, buddy. Like, it's kind of time. Like, what do you like? I would understand that more if it was January. You know what I mean? But it's March and you're six in the West. Like, start getting up like that is really frustrating, you know, and and I feel like the Nuggets, even though they're they're not as talkative as Draymond Green, they look like they have that same attitude and it doesn't make any sense to me. 
It doesn't. I at least understand it with Draymond and the Warriors because they've done it so many times. They know they at least know when and how to start ramping things up if they do get to that point. Um, so I will trust them a little bit more. The Nuggets, no. You need to like you can lose some games and you can get guys' nights off and stuff, but you can't lose every piece of like good vibe and chemistry and stuff like that. It's uh it's something else. It's been wild to watch. And there were some like you could have reasonable concerns about them as a playoff team, even when things were going well, because, you know, they were topping out as like the number 11 or number 12 defense. And it's you know, that's going to be a tough trip through the Western Conference playoffs if you're a pretty, pretty offense heavy team. Um, And now it's just like they're not even competitive night to night. It's not like the Raptors had looked very good lately and then came out and hung a franchise record points on them in one quarter. Uh Um, It's a. it's a tough one. I got to say, I feel bad that I didn't include the Kings. Like the absolute best case scenario final is Kings versus Knicks. I would, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how it would happen. I don't know like all the things that would need to go wrong for so we many We would teams. all lose our minds. Well, be- I, I, uh, I tweeted the other day when TNT aired uh, a Kings versus Knicks game on a Thursday. And I was like, I don't know if this has ever happened in the history of TNT NBA broadcasts, a Kings Knicks game. Like yeah. I was like, this is kind of historic in a way. And it was awesome. It was a great. And game. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Nobody's counting on the Kings going very far. I mean, it would certainly be disappointing if they were out first round, but I mean, they just don't have the playoff experience. They just haven't been knocking on that door over the years, the way you expect championship teams to do. So, I mean, I think this is the beginning of a very good run for them. I, the light, the beam thing really does remind me of the beginning of the, we, the North era. Oh yeah. And it, and it has those feels to it. And I do think there's a championship in their future, but I just don't think it's, you know, it's not this year. Yeah, it's it's tough. And they're like statistically like pretty like by a good margin, the worst defense of any playoff team right now. Um, So it gets again like how difficult the West looks. They're the best offense in the league right now, Mm -hmm. but also they can't stop anyone. So can you win playoff games 130 to 127? Historically, no. But maybe this year with offense exploding as it has. And so like every Western Conference team being so flawed, like. I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe you yeah. can if you have DeMontis Sabonis. And, and De'Aaron Fox, who is going to be, I think we can lock it in now, the first ever winner of the the new NBA Clutch Award. Um, like, yeah, it's, I don't know. They're so much fun. And then the Knicks are actually just like, the Knicks are, it's so weird that they're just like a good, solid, all-around, well-built team. It's like, it, I'd expect the Knicks to do more like the, what the Kings are doing, where they're just like, there's one outlandish thing we do way better than everyone else. Like the the year they won 50 plus with Mello, where they were like, oh yeah, we'll be the team that shoots a lot of threes right before everyone starts shooting a lot of threes. Um, that is more Knicks to me, but they're just like, no, they're just a really good basketball team. It's It's bizarre. It's a weird time to be an NBA fan. It's a very weird time. It definitely feels like a transitional time. We're in between eras, if you will. Uh, One last team I want to talk about is the 76ers. They've won their last six, and they could potentially chase the Celtics for that number two spot in the East. I mean, that one, two has felt pretty locked all season long, but I feel like they're only two games behind. And, you know, they could snatch that at the last minute. Like when I think about the Sixers, it's like they are that team that has been knocking at that door for years now. And they feel due to make an extensive run. 
right? Like they can't have another second round exit. They just can't. I, I, I'm with you. I think if they, you have a second round exit, you're going to have, and you've had multiple head coaches, multiple GMs, multiple co-stars during this era. Um, first of all, it would just like, like we talked earlier about Dame and the no championship stuff for Chris Paul. Like if James Harden goes on another non run right. where he has a, an MVP co-star and I like James Harden a lot, but I don't know how you resurrect the, the reputation as a playoff performer after that one. Um, I would like to see it for Embiid. I know after the, the Raptors years, it, it can be like a little touchy to cheer for Embiid, but I think he's in, incredible. I think it'd be really good for the game of basketball to see him break through. Um, we obviously, we saw how much it meant to African fans when Pascal had those moments and Serge had those moments. Well, Joel Embiid doing that as maybe the MVP and the best player in the world. Of course, Giannis uh, as well with his Nigerian roots. So I think it would be great for the growth of the game. Uh, I think Tyrese Maxey's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I am still a little skeptical about doc rivers playoff coach and i'm still a little uncomfortable with playoff james harden and the fact that tobias harris some weeks looks a lot older than 30 years old um not God, like, he's only 30 eh? yeah like not i, I don't mean like birth certificate <laughs> wise i mean like there's a lot of miles on yes. tobias harris at this point um he has like he's 30 years old and he has like the longest basketball reference page because he's been traded in season like a million times yeah. too. Um but yeah, he's been in the league since like 2011. Yeah. But it's, yeah. and it's starting to show. I know he's the guy who like his role is the one that has to change as other guys come in and out of the rotation or in and out of the roster and stuff like that. It just I don't know. The Raptors treated him with not a lot of respect in the playoffs last year. And uh, he wasn't really able to make them pay for that. And, and this Milwaukee and Bo- these Milwaukee and Boston teams are significantly better than that Raptors team was last year. Uh, so I'd imagine they do the same. But neither of those teams has a guy who can guard Joel Embiid. So uh, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think like as a Raptors fan, I agree. It's hard to root for the 76ers. And I'm not claiming I'm a fan per se. But I do think if they overcome these playoff demons, if you will, and they actually surpass that and get to a place, I feel like they've been through enough playoff adversity that I would be happy for them at this point, especially in a year where like us as biased Raptors fans, we know we're not making a significant run this year so they don't feel as much like competition uh you know or somebody i have to be actively rooting against you know also the raptors have the benefit and i know philly beat the raptors last year in the first round but in a year where the raptors were like just kind of happy to be there like you can i think raptors fans are pretty justified not wanting boston to win because of the boston of it all but milwaukee (laughs) and philly are both teams that the raptors beat on the way to their championship yeah so like you can you can maybe prefer the Western conference team or something like that, but those are not like you, we cross those hurdles, not we, but like as a fan base or whatever, like Philly and Milwaukee were vanquished. If they win now, who cares? It didn't get in the way of Toronto winning the championship. Um, And I actually think like if Raptors fans sat and thought with it, you'd probably prefer Philly, certainly prefer Philly or Milwaukee to Boston. And you'd probably prefer those two teams to Cleveland as well, even though Cleveland um, like doesn't seem like as much of a threat just because like Cleveland's closer to the Raptors now and the Raptors never got their like win back over Cleveland after Cleveland clowned them for a couple of years. I think it would be mm-hmm. most painful if Cleveland went on a run. Wow. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, I'm kind of over the Cleveland years. It feels like a different era but in time. There's the Mobley Barnes thing now too, <laughs> and yeah. they're like, like I. I I think if the Raptors, like, if things click for next year, like, it's going to be them in Cleveland jockeying as, like, who's next up in the Eastern Conference. You're right that we're on um... – I mean, we're definitely not on the same timeline as Cleveland because look at her, uh, at you know, look at the record. But we're definitely on a closer timeline with them than we are mm-hmm. with these other teams. So you're right. Yeah, I can't believe I said it, but I actually wouldn't be. Would I be happy for Philly? I'm not sure, but I definitely wouldn't be unhappy. And I feel like that's progress for me as a fan of the Raptors. Speaking of which, it's time for our Raptors Homer moment. So we talked last week about Fred's uh, rant about the refs, but we didn't have the results of the fine uh, during last week's episode. We now know it was only, I'm saying only a 30K fine. I think a lot of us expected it to be much worse. Um, What was your reaction to, to the fine? I had I had predicted 35k, so 30 was okay. Um, there's just there's okay. not a lot of precedent. Price is right rules you went over. Sorry, Blake. yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. uh, so I lose. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone else should have uh, guessed one dollar on the fine after I said 35,000. <laughs> um, no, there, there's like there's precedent for the league to flex a little bit of muscle, but not really beyond 35,000. Usually it's 25,000. Um, and then there's also some precedent where like guys who have physically intimidated referees only got like 30 or 35 K. So it's hard for me to see them going beyond that. I think it's a reasonable number. I, I think you also have to be careful as a league because um, not to be all like, there's not a conspiracy against the Raptors. However, if you wanted people to believe that there were a conspiracy against the Raptors, you would come over the top with a punishment for the Raptors for pointing out that, that the refs were not doing a very good job in that and were inserting themselves too much uh, in that game. And I think, you know, the league probably looked at the way those couple games had unfolded the, the Denver game before that, the earlier Ben Taylor games uh, with Fred Van Vliet, where, he had some very soft technical fouls uh, in those ones. And the league's never going to come out and be like, you know what? You're right. But I do wonder if the league reviewed the evidence a little bit and was like, can understand the frustration. And he wasn't like mad and shouting. Yeah. He used a lot of swear words, but that's about as like political and diplomatic a F you to the referees can come. Yeah. Um, So there's there are all those elements and i think mostly you you got to be real careful and i got asked a number of times like do you worry that the next couple crews of refs because the refs are a tight fraternity will take it out on the raptors and and i said no because the last thing you want to do is lend credence to what fred said and prove him right by holding a grudge and going over the top with either you know the officiating in the next couple games or or a ludicrous fine or something like that so i thought it was uh, about what was expected and yeah I, my guess would be fred is like breathe the small sigh of relief like he had he had mm-hmm. put thirty five thousand aside in a in a tfsa or whatever um <laughs> thinking that that was going to get hit and then it's like it's like you you got five thousand dollars free if you thought it was going to be thirty five thousand you only got wow. thirty thousand. so uh, this is how like the tens of dollars in my bank accounts this is how i i go through the mental gymnastics of feeling like I have money. 
Yeah, I uh, I thought it was going to be way more. I wasn't really thinking about um, precedence for this in the past because I was like, I don't think I've ever really seen something like this before. I mean, I was even worried he was going to like lose a game or something because of how much he went into it. So I went way, way over. Uh, so you definitely were better at predicting that than I am. Although I, I mean, I'm happy it wasn't as big of a deal as that. Like I'm happy that the league didn't overreact to it. Cause I think they easily could have. And so, I mean, I thought it was a good outcome and it just kind of allowed the team to move forward a bit. Yeah. And then, you know, turn the page on it. I, I also, I don't know that Fred, you know, was thinking of himself as a, as a martyr in that moment or anything like that. But um, we know from across all sports that if you're the captain on a team, sometimes you have to be the voice for your guys and sometimes take a, you know, a physical beating or, or in this case, a financial beating, you know, for the good of the team. And if he was feeling that that sentiment was pretty pervasive in the, in the entire locker room for him to step up and do that. And yeah, his specific words were about his situation with Ben Taylor and Fred Van Vliet specifically. But if that was a boiling point for the entire team and, you know, to his point to Ben Taylor, which was just, Hey, I got a tech for telling my guys to play through your bullshit. Um, if him getting that fine is a way of him kind of, you know, it's kind of an avatar for guys. We got to play through the bullshit. I'll handle this. Like, let me eat the fine. It's it's the same thing, you know, when coaches are, you know, mouthy or whiny or whatever. I don't have that much of a problem with it as long as the the that signals to the team, let me be the one getting in trouble with the refs. You guys focus on the next play. If there was an element of that for Fred as well, um, I think that's great. And we haven't really heard ref talk since then, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. Um Speaking of, this past week has been interesting. The Raptors got several days off after that. Uh, I'm going to call it a pretty terrible Lakers game. Uh, and then we came back and we had a really good game against the Nuggets, although that is also, as we said before, part them imploding and part us having a good game. So I wanted to ask you, like, do you think we can capitalize on this momentum how do we capitalize on this momentum? Is there a reason to be optimistic left at all? Because after that Lakers game, I felt pretty low on this team. But then Denver, and then I was at the game, and I had a couple vodka cooler spritzer mm. things, and then I started feeling a lot better. I wish so- <laughs> I'd known. I would have come said hi. <laughs> yes, I should have. I should have messaged you. But I was I was in the nosebleeds, you know, chilling. I was I was even nosebleedier. I was up in the gondola that like hangs <laughs> over top of everything. So. Um, but I did come down with the humans and say hi to some friends around halftime. So, oh, nice, um, nice, nice. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't have a ton of confidence in the world in this team and I don't want to be overly negative, but I think they're like, I don't see any separation really in terms of team quality between six and 11 in the Eastern conference, like day to day, which team do I feel best about between Brooklyn, Miami, Atlanta, Toronto, Washington, Chicago, it changes by the game. I think, Miami's probably the best of those teams, but they've also had the lowest lows. Um, Brooklyn is probably the most fun, but they also can't really win now that they don't have, you know, Mikhail Bridges has been awesome, but they're, they're really coming down to earth. Um, the Raptors actually of all those teams have the best recent track record, having won 48 games last year and having had a good playoff series. But for whatever reason, anyone who's not the starting five, just like, like any lineup that's not the starting unit just cannot do anything right now. And that's like ever since the trade deadline and the numbers are like striking how bad 
anytime it, the, it is anytime one starter even comes off the floor. So yeah. um, there's a lot to figure out there. I think they could turn it around enough to, you know, get the eight seed, hop Atlanta there. Then you at least get two cracks at a play in, have a fun first round playoff series or whatever. But I do not see the path this year to this team being like actually relevant in the playoffs. If you care about the play in and you want to see a playoff series, awesome. I'm not going to argue with you. The games will be fun, but I don't see a way that I feel like the scenario where I would pick the Raptors to take a series longer than five games in the first round. It's hard to see right now with 13 games left. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. Like there have been moments since the trade deadline, there's been flashes where I started to feel like way more optimistic, like maybe we could get the six seed, something, something, you know, but now I, I feel like I've been brought back down to earth a bit once again with this team. Um, and I also agree, like the Eastern conference just kind of sucks. Mm -hmm. Like so many of these teams have been in a state of turmoil. Like we've been through our ups and downs, mainly downs this season, but you're absolutely right. The Hawks, have absolutely been through that the heat have been through that lord knows the nets have been through it i mean we're all kind of in this state of just what the hell's happening with us the bulls even you know so it's been a weird year overall where i think all these teams had higher hopes and expectations versus where they landed and i think where we were for so much of the season the fact that we're in the play-in conversation i think is an improvement I mean, I was never team tank, so that's good for me at least. But yeah, I think, you know, right now we're ninth. Um, I don't think we're going to play ourselves out of the play-in at this point. I think we'll be there. Um, yeah, getting two cracks at it would obviously be nice. I don't know if I want to see us in a playoff series. I, I feel like I'm conflicting myself because obviously like I root for the team to win. I want to see the team win, but there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to see us get swept to the Bucks or to the, you know, to the Celtics, to the 76ers. If they get up there, like I, I don't want to see that. And I don't know if that will be fun for me. <laughs> Yeah, I, so I don't I'm selfish. I'm, I'm contradicting myself and I feel as a fan, I'm in a weird place. You're in. No, it's the play in tournament of fandom, right? Where you're in this in between where you don't feel good about the playoffs. You don't feel good about tanking. You're just sort of there. Uh, the, the position in the standings trickles down to uh, the position uh, that fans are in. Here's the other one for you, though. If they lose the play in. Um, so say they finish where they are now and they were to lose the plan, not get through, still get uh, like 2% odds at the number one pick. And like, like I think nine or 10, 11, <laughs> like 10 or 11% odds at a top four pick. So maybe you can, team tank can still get like a little taste uh, if they lose the plan. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't been following the draft beyond uh, Wemby and, and Scoot. So I don't really know who now's the time. Now's it's the March time. Madness starting momentarily. Now's the time to jump into it. Yeah. But uh, so I have no idea who to, who we would draft her, but you know, that's looking way, way ahead, but yeah, we're kind of in a weird place and you know, the off season, we're going to have lots of interesting conversations because I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting things happening in the off season, but that will be for another day. Uh, Blake, I believe it's time for my Raptors hottie highlight of the week. And I think I'm going to give this to OG Ananobi. 
I think OG's had a great week. He had uh, 24 points against the Denver Nuggets, and he is in an annoying Staples commercial. How so, dare you? Congrats to OG. I mean, it's better than him just showing off how smooth his shave is, like whatever this gesture is. I, I mean, at least handle. he's got li- at least he's got lines in this one. Yeah, and I can't handle the shaving commercial, and I apologize to <laughs> Gillette because they sent me the each razor, oh, and I still damn. have any. You can see my beard's pretty long right now. I have absolutely You know what? Not Gillette hasn't sent me anything, and how yeah. dare they? Well, I'll t- I hope whoever <laughs> bought those razors does not like like one thing. It's one thing to like look at Steph Curry and be like, oh, that he that's how he shoots threes. That's how I want to shoot threes. If you shave like OG and an OB shaves in that commercial you will have no skin left on your jawline whatsoever it's it makes me cringe every single time he's like clearly using a a razor without blades in it um or something like that but because like the motion is just like half your face would get removed OG. See, I didn't know that. That's yeah. insight. Oh, it's to, awful. That's insight for me. Um, but that would make sense that they would have a prop razor on set. I'm sure that's very true. That it's just a prop and there's no actual blades in it. Fred and that's why he turned just, on. They were just when like campier. Just, yeah. Do it more. Do it like. Exactly. <laughs> but now he's in a Staples commercial with with lines. He's yeah. really you know utilizing his monotoneness. Mm-hmm. um in it so you know we get to watch that for the rest of the season yeah i yeah. like them i also uh you know i uh as someone who yeah i don't know i i was gonna tell a story that i probably shouldn't tell um <laughs> not not like a bad one just it makes me look like an unprofessional person um but no i saw og at a game this year and it was the first time i'd seen him in a couple years because of the pandemic and, and my changing role and stuff like that and i got like a little like the close pull-in hug from og at one point and the guy who doesn't get it in the commercial i feel for him because it's uh like if i was in that spot i'd go for it too i would want that Aww. hug from from ceo OG Ananobi. he looks like he gives good hugs yeah i i had heard Aww. that about scotty barnes like scotty barnes at right. summer league the first year like basically asked raptors pr if he was allowed to like like physically greet me and they were like no dude we're in a pandemic everyone's like masked up <laughs> and you have to do interviews from like 10 feet away you cannot just be hugging media um so i i haven't had that one yet you know who i i think like all-time raptor probably gives the best hugs i no this is not from experience i haven't hugged them all but marcus all always struck me as a guy Aww. who would give amazing hugs like am i wrong like he feels he no, seems he like would. he would give tremendous hugs yeah i agree also, it's like he's so tall, mm-hmm. like your head would just be buried in his chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Mark. I miss him. Um, but this is the content we want on this show specifically. I want to know who gives good hugs, you know. But in any case, Blake, thank you so much for joining me this week. I really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, for all our listeners and people watching on YouTube, let us know where people can find you on the Internet. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter, Blake Murphy ODC, and yeah, Sportsnet stuff, Jays, Raptors, Leafs, whatever. Um, I actually have an OG piece. This we're talking right now at 1 p.m. on Thursday, and it will be out like literally by the time we end this call. Um, oh, a big OG piece trying, it's impossible to like quantify his defense or even like put it in proper context, but I tried, and there's also some reporting in there on some stuff, uh, some new stuff that could be coming in the next collective bargaining agreement okay. that doesn't make it it doesn't make it a sure thing but it makes it like slightly 
more possible that OG would be open to an extension this offseason um, because they're loosening the rules around extension and giving teams uh, a little more flexibility on what they can offer their own guys to keep them. So maybe like a small bit of positive for uh, OG's future. That's amazing. Is this pro um, defensive player of the year propaganda piece? It is pro all defense um, because (laughs) no player has won defensive player of the year on a losing team since the right. Right. It just doesn't happen. So I I figured it would be fruitless to argue defensive player of the year. So let's aim for all defense instead. Yeah, that's that's a good call. That's a good call. Uh, Thanks so much, Blake. Thank you, everyone, for uh, listening and tuning in this week. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.